Hello and welcome. You are listening to Moodily Matters, the podcast that recognizes that your mood matters. Every episode, we talk to a range of amazing guests with experience in some of the top organizations in the world, discussing work life at the crossroads of mood, well-being, and performance. Together, we aim to create better workplaces, one mood at a time. Let's get started with your host, Moodily founder, Erica First. Hello, and thank you for joining me. I am Erica First, your host of Moodily Matters. My guest today is my old friend and former colleague, Nathan Gray. As the digital director for Montclair, he talks about the volatility that comes with working in the digital space, the difficulty of being a first-in player, and the nobility of being a manager. Now on to the episode. Good afternoon, Nathan, and thank you so much for being here with us. Good evening. Um, so let's get started and just start jumping right into it. And can you tell us a little bit about your professional journey and what you've done to bring you to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So my, I get, let's say my career started off in, in, in California. So we're talking in Milan, uh, the two of us now, but it started off in California. Um, I, uh, immediately out of college jumped into the ad business. And I would say that for me, I kind of rode these these two different um, interests, which were kind of a, a combination of creativity and strategy. And for me, it was not so easy to find an outlet to exercise those two muscles, if, if I can say that. And digital kind of became the place where I was able to do both of those things. And so from, from then on out, I focused a lot on digital. Um, did a number of different things for lifestyle brands, uh, and one of the 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 last um, companies that I was working with was a big eyewear company out of Italy. In which case, uh, I was asked to come help build the social media team from ground zero, and so that's what I did for a number of years. Uh, after that, I kind of dabbled in a number of different digital areas, from everything from e-commerce to CRM to wearables. Uh, in which case, uh, I was asked to join another company in 2019. Uh, and that company, I focused a bit more on the digital marketing kind of as a whole. So pulling a lot of different levers. Um, and after about a year of doing that, I focused much more on the digital product. So focusing on how do we build everything from websites to applications to even in-store digital experiences, always kind of focused on the digital side. So that, I would say that's a kind of short snapshot in terms of what I've done um, thus far. Okay. And so in your field of work, what are some of the more common stressors that you have to deal with on a daily basis? Um, so there tend to be a lot of decision makers. This oftentimes means that we have different things popping up at different times. We obviously have strategies and roadmaps, but there tends to be a tendency towards kind of the shiny new object in my industry. And so with that comes reshuffling strategies, plans, uh, roadmaps, et cetera. And that tends to cause a lot of stress, uh, not just on me, but teams. Uh, because I would say also in, in my experience, the easy stuff has been done meaning that the, you know, some of the easy kind of the low hanging fruit 
um, it's already been done. And so that it's the big complex stuff that's still left to be done. And that oftentimes means that there's a lot of teams, a lot of stakeholders, a lot of thinking uh, and a lot of back and forth that needs to happen. So when you reshuffle priorities, when you reshuffle strategies, it means that there's, it's a big cause for stress. And this is obviously category agnostic. This is just literally working in digital and, and how it goes from place to place, especially since with digital, you have to sort of move at the speed of culture, which is obviously traveling at velocities like we've never seen before. Um, so, which is also quite different than, than an image that we might have outside, which is that tech is like really fast and really easy and you just have to like code something really quickly. There's actually a lot of big giant pieces that um, are involved and having to do and redo and redo everything all the time is is frustrating, as you mentioned. Absolutely, I, I it, you know, it's it is agnostic. It's um, things are moving at the speed of culture, as you said, and and I would say in in maybe as a as a kind of caveat to to that, I guess in in my particular industry, there is this reluctance to be first. Um, so oftentimes what happens in the fashion and luxury industry is that you have players that are reluctant to jump into something new, but then as soon as something somebody does, everybody's got to do it. Um, and so, you know, I think an example of that is going back 15 years now, this is, this is old school, but going back 15 years, like I, I remember there were, there were big players in the industry that were like, should we have a website? I mean, in, you know, 2022, can you imagine not having a website now? So um, there's there's a lot of examples of this kind of thing, and and I think the, I would say that the industry's learned a lot, um, but it doesn't mean that there's still a lot of reluctance. Well, that, I mean that's human nature. No, nobody wants to be the first. There's not so much that uh, culture of failing forward that there was when in when social was discovered and it was all about exploration. Now it's very much a. Yeah get it right game. Absolutely. Um, so since you talk about like that, there's so many teams and there's so many people involved in all the work that you do, uh, obviously mood is a factor in how projects go, in how relationships continue. How have you found that it impacts the work? That's a, it's a huge factor. Um, you know, one of one of the things that comes to mind is uh, Clayton Christensen, uh, who wrote uh, famously the Innovator's Dilemma, and he said that uh, management is one of the most noble professions in the world. Which sounds crazy. You know, you think of managers and middle managers; they kind of get a bad rap. But what he talked about was this idea that um, you know, in kind of simple terms, it's like if you're a manager and you've got people reporting into you, and you're you know, maybe you're a nice guy or a gal, or maybe you're not. Um, maybe you, maybe you treat somebody that reports into you pretty poorly on a particular day, and that person goes home um, and treats their husband or wife like shit, and their kid like shit. And there's sort of this ripple effect in terms of that that initial mood, which turns into behavior, which turns into kind of treating other people poorly. So. This is kind of a, it's, it's for this reason he said that it's one of the most noble professions. 
Yeah, I, I, I think absolutely has a huge impact on, on the team and, and not just the team, but what the team is capable of. And how do you find, so it's interesting that you mentioned managers, because this is a big conversation that I've been having with a lot of people is that we expect a lot from our managers. And I think there's actually expectations for managers pre-COVID and post-COVID because before you expected someone to do a good job, you know, you hired them for an excellence in uh, some skill area or they knew how to sell properly. They knew marketing, they knew digital. Um, And then most of us are never actually properly trained to manage other people, to learn how to deal with other people. We learn it on the job. And sometimes you're a great manager and sometimes you're not, uh, and you, and that, you know, your team has to deal with you, whether you're one or the other, but after COVID now on top of that, you also have to know how to check how your people are feeling. Um, are they too stressed? Are they, you know, so there's, and that's kind of always been a piece of it. The, the best leaders had this emotional intelligence built into them, but now it's an expectation. I've been seeing a lot of companies and management consultants talk about you managers have to know how to do this. And yet they've never been trained in these skills. So it's like, uh, it's a position we like to beat up on a lot, you know, the managers, the evil managers, but it's actually getting harder to do your job properly because there's a whole new skill set that has been introduced that they haven't been properly trained for. Um, Are you seeing this in your own experience in dealing with other companies, in yourself, in your friends? Yeah, so maybe kind of starting with the the first point. So I always used to to joke, you know, starting my career in the advertising space, the the difference between an art director and a creative director is management. (laughs) Literally that can happen overnight. Um, And so I've seen, instances where people can manage and people can't manage. And it's, it's an interesting, I guess, transition in, 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 in someone's career, but absolutely the, the pandemic is, you know, following, you know, some of the, the advice I, I hear from a lot of, let's say smart, smart people is that the, the pandemic, what it's done to society is it's sort of just accelerated things, right? So a lot of things were already kind of under the surface or growing, but it just sort of accelerated, um, you know, a number of different areas. And I agree with you that that there's an expectation now that um, it's it's no longer just about, you know, doing a good job, but it's about what about me, right? And I, I think part of this is the pandemic. Again, it's kind of accelerated this tendency, but I think also there's a generational shift as well. For sure. And I was actually having this conversation with someone yesterday um, from one of the major management consulting companies that, um, you know, I come from one generation, which is not the, which is much older than the one coming in. um, And they have very different expectations out of their work experience. And naturally, my instinct is to be like, you know, well, we did it this way. And the conversation that we were having yesterday was, yeah, we did do it that way, but we didn't like it. It didn't mean it was the right way to do it. It's just, we, we got used to it. You know, we were like mm-hmm. Shawshanked redemption into thinking that this is how you have to work, or this is what 
what did he call it? Institutionalized that this is how things are. And that these people coming in are like, no, we want we want a new book of rules. And it's interesting to see the two generations meet over this. And one of the things that he was saying is that, that, you know, this is such an epic moment in time, especially considering the future of work, that we actually now have risen to the ranks of managers. And so we're not the, the underemployees, we're, we're the bosses now. We have the chance to build the companies, the teams, uh, the processes, the policies that we needed when we were young. And so the question is, do, will we do it? <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, for, for, for the American listeners, it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, Elizabeth Warren complaining about people not paying their taxes and Elon Musk saying, you know, we'll set the rules. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the same thing. You're in a position to change what we pay. So yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Um, so we do. I'm we not going to let a, you fangirl on Elon Musk here. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's. Anyhow, we it's uh, yeah. We we need to dive down that rabbit hole. Um, so can you think of one time or even multiple times when the mood that you were in actually impacted your ability to do your job properly or how you responded to other people and what happened and what were the consequences? Yeah. So, so, uh, I think as you, as you know, um, I'm, I, I tend to have a reputation of being fairly Zen <laughs> for better or worse. Um, I confirm. But- <laughs> but um, it, it is true that so you know everybody's got their their you know swings and ebbs and flows and and uh, but yeah I I, I can recall um, you know meetings that I've been in with uh, superiors or you know certainly probably not being as professional or or um, uh, empathetic or. Um, you know, tolerance of, of whatever was happening at the time. And, you know, in both cases, uh, I, I, you know, I, I probably have the tendency to kind of be a little more aggressive in, in how I'm communicating. Um, and, you know, it, depending upon, you know, who you're talking to, there's different repercussions. So um, for, again, for better or worse, uh, but yeah, I, I, I guess the, the, the net net is that um, if you're hopefully um, introspective of of how you're interacting with people um maybe you walk away from the situation as i did and i you know it doesn't feel good right it's it's um you don't want to be in a position where you're you know aggressive or or you know unkind to to the people that you work with because you work with them you work with them day in and day out um so yeah so for me the net net was that there weren't any repercussions in terms of you know uh, being reprimanded or anything like that, but just not feeling good about the situation. Um, and, and even to the, to the point where, to your question, it's like, do you remember? And the point is I remember. So it's, it's sort of a, a feeling that, um, hopefully you learn from, and it's not something you repeat, uh, too often. Mm. Um, so to that, as we said, so I know you, I've known you for a very long time and you have probably been the most even killed person that I've known um, over the years. 
but what are, are you just naturally like that? Or do you have some tips or tricks or things that you do to keep yourself um, calm and level-headed and happy? Dare I say? I think, so <laughs> no, I, I think, uh, I, I think fortunately for me, it is fairly natural. I don't, I don't think it's, an, it's, it's, I, I would attribute it to my my mother, um, who's also quite Zen. Um, so I, I'm I think I'm lucky to have kind of picked up that trait. But of course, there's things that you can do to optimize, right? It's um, you know I, I I four years ago, four or five years ago now. One of the things that I you know as a New Year's resolution, one of the things I committed myself to was to learn to meditate. Um, and I think that's had a you know, profound impact on my mood, my ability to manage stress, uh, to focus, um, a number of things. And so I think meditation has played a big role in that. Um, but again, I think there's different ways to optimize. So, you know, even, you know, I've, I've, as you know, I've, I've been quite, you know, physically active in, in sports and, and different things over the years, doing triathlons and marathons and all kinds of stuff like that. And I think that Physical, physical activity plays a big role uh, in this as well. So I think there's things that you can do to optimize. And I think that, you know, you, there's, it's kind of the nature and the nurture, right? Um, so when do you think, like, what are the conditions around you professionally, personally, when you are performing at your best? So for me, one of the as I've gotten older, I think when we're young, we're kind of immune to all kinds of shit, right? It's like, you know, we're, we're invincible when you're, when we're young and, and, and naive and, and that's lovely. But I think as we get older, um, there are certain realities and kind of physics come, <laughs> come into play. Right. And so one of the big, big things for me and something I've been focused on over the last five or so years is sleep. You know, do I get a good night's sleep? Uh, and it sounds really stupid, right? It's like, no, I'll, I'll even make it more stupid. So before I started digging deeper into sleep, um, it, for me, I used to think, okay, I went to bed at X time and I woke up at X time. And so therefore I was asleep for X time. And with a lot of tools and technology and various things, um, I've started to realize that, you know, the... There's, the diff there's a big, big difference between time in bed versus actual time asleep and what happens within the time that you're actually asleep and then the impact that that has on how you feel the next day. Um, but for me, one of the biggest things that I'm learning now is how to optimize that and how to, how to take advantage of, of putting myself in a position to be well-slept. I like that. And it's actually not stupid at all because it's really the key to everything because your body does enormous, important functions while it's sleeping to clear out your mind, to reset the body. Um, and so the quality of the work that you put out, the quality of thoughts that you have, uh, your energy levels, metabolism, everything is dependent on the quality and length of your sleep. Um, and I know I've, uh, I had some 
health thing going on the last couple of years, which has been severe. Like I was suffering from insomnia, which I'd never had, um, beforehand. And it, it was affecting everything from even like how I look my skin to my mood in the morning, how, you know, how many hours I was able to work without having to take a nap, the foods that I could eat. So it's, um, it's a huge thing, sleep. (laughs) And it turns out, the heck who knew um the unfortunate thing or fortunate thing is that they feed each other so you can't do one without the other because what you do during the day impacts the quality of your sleep and then the quality of your sleep impacts what you're what you're able to do during the day so um you have to really find sort of a good balance between those two things absolutely Um, and what do you think uh so no. Okay. So outside of that, so what does well-being at work mean to you? Like, how do you feel or no, I'm going to let you answer that. Leave it very open. What does well-being at work mean to you? Well, so maybe I start with what I think it means to the people who um, run offices. Um, and then I'll come back to what I think it means. So I think we've kind of lost the plot on well-being at work. Um, I think that we've, we've kind of, you know, in, in the Silicon Valley spirit, we've sort of packed in all of these different features and benefits and services that are, you know, lumped into this idea of well-being. So it's like, okay, great. Like I can have somebody do my laundry faster, or, you know, I can, I can have packages mailed to me at work. Or you know, there's all these different things that um, that 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 kind of get lumped under this idea of well-being. But I think well-being is, and so maybe another example and a more um, practical example for maybe more people is um, you know what's happened over the course of the pandemic, right? So in Italy, a lot of people were, a lot of companies were testing this idea of smart working, right? Before the pandemic happened, and then the pandemic happened, and everyone was like like, you know, plan B, like everyone's in smart working, like, okay, we're just going to test this thing. We have no choice. And my, my sense is, first of all, it worked. Like, you know, if I look at the work that we did over the course of 2020 and 2021, it was, I mean, we achieved huge things in, you know, working from, from home. So it's, it's sort of testament to it's possible. And of course there's caveats to that. If you like, you know, build physical things, like you need people together and that makes sense. Um, But I think what's happened with smart work is we forgot the smart part and smart work sort of became work. And, you know, the idea of smart work originally was, okay, so yeah, you get, you get to work from home and that, that creates some conveniences. But then part of that meant that, again, you get to apply this idea of smart to that, which meant that, you know, shit, maybe, maybe like, since I'm working from home and it's smart work, like, I would benefit from, you know, a run around the park uh, at 9 a.m., you know, which is technically when I'm supposed to be working. But instead of that happening and instead of a lot of other kind of opportunities happening during smart work, we sort of resorted, resorted to, I think, not just work, but extended work. And so work sure. became, yeah, work became, uh, there were no hours for work anymore, like never before. I mean, it's always kind of been the case, depending upon your industry, but I think in the course of the pandemic, it, it was just again accelerated. It was part of it was part of this accelerant. Um, it successfully the invaded applied. the home space. Yep, 
Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, so I, that's what I, that's what I think has happened in terms of from a company point of view. But it, if you ask me what I think well-being is, I think it's, it's some sort of balance. I think we've lost balance. And I think that of course, if somebody's going to pay you to work, you need to, there needs to be output that benefits the company, right? Um, because if that doesn't happen, then the company goes out of business and then you don't have work. Um, and so I think that there's a balance between being professional and being, um, again, having output, uh, whatever that may be for, for your particular industry. Um, combined with a better sense of balance between mental, physical, and emotional. And, you know, I think each of those three things, mental, physical, and emotional can be, there's a lot of different things that can fall into those buckets, but I think we tend to overly focus on the professional, which makes sense because you work for a company. Um, and oftentimes those companies are beholden to shareholders and shareholders want to make more money and so da, 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 da. Um, you know, the modern economy, but, but I do think that, um, if you want, uh, and you talk to, you know, HR people, um, who are responsible for the budgets for recruiting people when people leave and there's, you know, higher costs associated with it. And, um, it, it's just not a sustainable model that we have if you're not striking a better balance with, uh, retaining people and retaining people means training people and, training people means keeping people curious and people, you know, and so on and so forth. And so I think that there's just, there's a, there's a better balance to be had. And to me, that's, that's what well-being is. Hmm. And I think, um, you know, I think this time period, you know, obviously there's more time invested in finding an answer to what is the right answer? How do we keep our employees happy? The issue that, um, is so difficult is that well-being to each person means something different, right? So, you know, you may need to run at nine o'clock. I may need to be working at 5 a.m. because that's what time I, you know, I do my best at 5 a.m. and then I want to be done at two so I can do other things. Um, so it's finding a way to give the people what they need, but also find a system of equality because we can't have, let's say I'm able to produce a day's amount of work in three hours, um, but other people need eight hours. Well, is that fair that I only have to work three, you know? So it's this very tough situation to say, okay, we want to do something that's equal for everybody. So there are no favorites, but at the same time is somehow personalized in some way that you can find your space in there. And I don't envy the, the challenges that HR people have in front of them right now, because it's really difficult, especially because the new generation that's coming in has such high expectations and demands of what they want and what they're willing to accept. Yeah, exactly. So let me ask you our last question then, which is what is three pieces of advice that you would give to a young person entering the workforce today? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think the first is perspective um, in the sense that, and this is maybe hard, especially since your question is about the young person. Um, but I, some, you know, a trick that I like to play with myself um, is 
you know, when I'm on my deathbed, will, will I remember this? Um, and hopefully that's a long time from now, but, you know, I, again, that's, it's this idea of perspective. So if, if, you know, I don't know, you've got an asshole colleague who says something stupid or ridicules you in a meeting or whatever perspective, right? It's like, is, is this really important in the long run? And, and I think it's hard for younger people to, to grasp and be, this comes with age, but the better you can kind of sharpen that tool earlier on, the better, uh, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I mentioned uh, meditation. I think learn to meditate because meditation will teach you to focus. Uh, it'll teach you to, you know, ho hopefully remove some of the noise. Um, it, 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 it'll, it'll do all, you'll have all kinds of benefits depending upon how you use it. But I, I think it really does teach you to train your mind to, to focus on what's important and, and, and at best, you know, when you get older, life moves very, very fast. I think it, for me, it's the closest thing I've found to slowing time down a little bit. Um, so meditation, I would say, is the second. And then, you know, the, the, the third, which is, it sounds really stupid, but it's probably, it's kind of like a, like a stereotype. It's like we, we have stereotypes because they're actually true, <laughs> right? As much as we don't like to admit it, but it's, it's the golden rule, right? So it's like treat other people as you would, you know, want to be treated. And, and I think if, if you can do those three things from an early onset in your career, you're, you'll, you'll be served pretty well. Excellent. And actually, I want to add on one more question about your meditation. I'm going to blend two questions because you mentioned before. Sneaking in uh, another question. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, no, you mentioned before about measuring right that things have to be measured and i know that you are someone who likes to see and track progress so how do you measure improvement on meditation Ooh, that's a good question well so there's this, the really superficial version of that which is time right so it's like um you know how much time did i meditate this week um uh, but that's probably not a good answer. I, I, I think that, that you move from a quantified to a qualitative um, sort of approach. It's like, how do you feel, right? It's like, you know, it's, do you feel yourself more in touch? Do you feel yourself less stressed? Do you feel yourself um, coping with, you know, change and, and curveballs better than you did before? Um so yeah, it's 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 a it it is probably a, a, a strange shift from the the quantitative to the qualitative, especially because it's hard to measure a baseline. So you know, it's like who's the who's the judge of am I better? And it may actually even be people outside of you because you might we not. It's usually hardest for us to see ourselves, so we might not be the best judges of. I I don't think I react much to something and someone will tell me you were freaking out <laughs> like, so so it may even be that that we have to um you know get an external judge of how we're improving or not but i've always it's one of the it's one of the things that obviously in my own work where um we struggle to do is how do you quantify unquantifiable aspects um to to show somebody that there is improvement because obviously there is an improvement. And if you put somebody in an MRI machine or if you attach them to nodes and stuff like that, you will, 
you will see the benefits over time of doing any type of work, you know, whether it's meditation or emotional self-regulation techniques, um, uh, and, uh, or, you know, recognizing your triggers, breathing yourself in and out of it. So there is improvement, but it's only visible if I pop you into an MRI machine, which is not easy to do. <laughs> um, so it, that's why it's one of the, the challenges. And I was curious, cause I know you like to track things. So how would somebody who's a, who's a tracker track their improvement in qualitative benefits? Well, another, I guess, the other metric that comes to mind is um, your your breathing. You know, so if you're able to slow down your respiration, or if you're able to, yeah, slow down slow down your amount of breathing, that tends to correlate pretty closely with calmness and um, calmness. Um, so that may be another metric, but I agree with you. It's like I think in the last, I don't know, 10, 10 years or so, we've we've been able to kind of prove what people have been practicing for a long time in terms of you know the impact on the brain but serious talking to me um no but we've been able to prove uh you know what what people have been practicing for a long time in terms of the benefits of, of meditation put pop somebody into an mri machine and you see you know everything firing but it's it is hard to measure that. So that I, it's 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 interesting. I, I wonder if there's um, there's probably somebody thinking about how to how to kind of pull these two pieces together. And maybe that's Elon Musk with the Neuralink. We don't know. Just to circle it back. <laughs> you dropped it in at the last minute. I'll, I'll <laughs> and I'm sure that there are lots of companies outside of your outside of your boy Elon that are working on it. Um, but let me let you go. Thank you so much for being here today with us. It was a pleasure to have you. And hopefully pleasure we'll get, get a chance to talk to you again soon. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Moodly Matters. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort, and we'll catch you in the next episode of Moodily Matters.